0: This is episode number 38 with Matt-Anne The Founder Podcast.
1: What you need is thirst. You need to be a
0: thirsty human who is intent on learning.
1: It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 Now, The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet,
0: you are in the
1: right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Go, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amorosa, Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast, the Founder Podcast.
0: Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know. and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I'm your host. Hope you guys are having a great week. Uh, What's been happening in my world? Things are pretty hectic at the moment. We're getting some really, really good growth, and it's a quality problem to have. And I picked up some good little productivity hacks that I just wanted to share with you that may be of help. I've found that multitasking doesn't work, it only slows you down. I've always thought for a very long time that I'm a good multitasker, which is probably pretty insane because scientifically, you know, I actually did a lot of research because I'm. I'm finding that I'm not achieving the kind of things that I want to achieve in this time frame that I want to achieve them. So I started doing a lot of research in these past few weeks around productivity and there's overwhelmingly so much facts and and studies done that multitasking doesn't work. So one thing I'm doing now is I'm using the Pomodoro technique. I have a timer that runs and I do increments of 55 minutes, two 55-minute straight sessions, five-minute break after one. So I go 55, five-minute break, 55, then a 30-minute break, and then I start again, rinse, repeat. And i found that to be very, very effective. Um, I'm making trying to make sure I meditate every day, I'm trying to make sure my space is clean. That's another one. Um, I find if you have a really cluttered space, that can just – cloud your mind and have a lot of things going on I also another thing I try and do is I try and put my phone on silent and I don't look at it during that 55 minute streak of just focused time that I'm focusing on one task and that's another thing I have a list now of tasks that I focus on and smash out for the day and I focus on each task and incrementally cross them off So yeah, that's working really, really well. I'm finding I'm cracking out a lot more stuff and I just wanted to share that with you guys. Now on to today's guest. His name is Matan Griffel and he's the founder of One Month, which was a startup that came out of Y Combinator and Matan shares so much gold with you. I know you guys really, I've had a lot of feedback on the growth hacking episode with Bronson Taylor. And this one is kind of similar, but Mattan, you know, Mattan's another growth hacker, epic marketer, and he brings so much to the table in terms of customer acquisition and also this courses stuff. You know, a lot of you guys might want to start doing online courses, creating digital products and doing courses and training. Mattan gives us a ton of gold around that, and he gives a really, really solid insight that he learned out of Y Combinator. Now, for you guys that don't know what Y Combinator is – it's the number one, you know, most world-renowned incubator in the world. So if you've got a startup idea, you can go and take that to an incubator, and that incubator takes a small percentage, and they give you some capital, and, how, and they give you a whole ton of epic mentors that help you along the process. And it's like a three-month period. So just as an example, you know, the founders of Reddit came out of Y Combinator, the founders of Twitch TV. All these epic startups have a lot of them have have been previously out of Y Combinator. So yeah, it, you know, really, really interesting to hear Matan's insights on what he took away from Y Combinator, what he'd learned and yeah, everything that he's doing with his latest business one month, which is growing like crazy. So that's it from me, guys. If you are enjoying these episodes please do leave us a review. It helps more than you can imagine. And by all means, check out the magazine, check out our blog, check out our social channels. You know, we're here to serve. We're contributing every day to this community as much as we can. Now let's jump into the show. Matan, how how did you get your job?
1: Okay. So I, I'm running this education company now. I'm the CEO here. And, uh, the the story is really long. I guess it, it goes back quite a ways, but I think I'll start when I was a teacher. Not like a real teacher. Not you know I wasn't teaching in college or teaching in high school, but I was teaching part time. I was like basically on the side just to make a little bit of extra money. I started teaching places like General Assembly first in person and then online on sites like Udemy or on Skillshare. The first class that I taught was how to teach yourself to code, And the class was this hour-long class that people would just come to, like 40 people per class. And on just a weeknight, I would make something like 40 bucks a student. I would make half of that. So it was a good, you know, $1,000 per night that I did this. And that basically helped sustain, like, everything else that I was doing on the side that wasn't making money. So I was teaching those classes, and um, and that's where I actually met my co-founder, because he was another teacher there at General Assembly. And so I did how to teach yourself to code. I did uh, a growth hacking class. I even experimented with classes like productivity or how to build slideshow presentations that people think look cool, just, you know, all sorts of, of different stuff like that, because I, I found that once I started teaching, I, I was really enjoying it, just being in front of uh, a room full of people and, you know, just just sharing this information. And I wasn't really an expert in a lot of this stuff, but I was kind of like taking this this thing and distilling it down in a way that people who were total beginners or people who didn't know where to start with a topic could understand it. So, you know, it started there and um, and from General Assembly, I ended up creating this Class on coding, which was on Skillshare, and it became the like number one most successful Skillshare class ever. Uh, it ended up having 6,000 students. With wow. It. Like, actually, by the time it was all said and done. And that was a total shock to me. Like, I never expected the class... Honestly, I thought the class would have maybe 100 students. I thought I would you know, make a little bit of money, but this was just, like, this incredible market response, I guess, like people telling me that like there was definitely need for this content. And the people who are graduating from it just like have the most amazing stuff to say and they all wanted more classes. So that was kind of the uh, the turning point for me where I realized like, yeah, this, this needs to happen. So I applied to Y Combinator off the back of the success of one month Rails on Skillshare. And then I got accepted and that was That was summer of 2013. And since going through Y Combinator, we then kind of expanded it to one month and started tackling other topics. Uh, And we now have six courses. We're working on four more that we're going to launch this quarter. And they've expanded beyond just like learning to code. We now cover growth hacking and we're, you know, we're looking into like meditation and copywriting and just a bunch of really interesting things all around this angle of learning in a month, just that starting point. Like we want one month to be the place that people go when they first want to learn how to do something, but they have no idea where to start.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, well, look, I, I connected with you because I stumbled across your one month growth hacking course and I'm doing it right now. Yeah. It's It's absolutely brilliant. I'm really enjoying it and I'm, I'm learning a lot and I, and I love this whole marketing piece. So I'm curious, you know, like I found you because a friend forwarded your, one of your emails that you got, you, you sent out, it was a video about growth at Y Combinator. And mm-hmm. I was yeah. just, I was just like, wow, this guy's got his marketing down pat, he's got his copyright down pat, I've got to talk to him. So, so, um,
1: yeah, that was the the one metric that matters video, I
0: think yeah, yeah, yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about your experience at Y Combinator and what your biggest takeaways were from that experience, and what our audience can learn from you from from you know doing it at one of the top startup accelerators?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, one of the questions that they ask you in the interview process at Y Combinator is, why do you, why do you want to go to Y Combinator? Like, you know, presumably you have a successful startup, you have a good idea, you have a a team or whatever. Like, why do you even need us? And my answer to that was that it's going to help the business succeed because even just like being associated with Y Combinator means that we can hire people that, you know, may not join otherwise, that like they would hook us up with, with press and publicity and investors and and really just give it more essentially validation credibility. That was really what I understood Y Combinator to be when I was interviewing. And even when I got accepted there. And I I think that it's like a perfectly reasonable reason to go. Right. I mean, it Mm. actually did let me hire some of the best people because there's a difference when you're hiring like an amazing developer to tell them that you're Y Combinator company that brings with it this bit of this, this prestige. But when I when we actually got to Y Combinator, I didn't even know what it was going to be. I think I was expecting kind of like a kind of like a college in a way. I got there and I was expecting like, all right, Monday is when it starts. Where do we go? You know, like where's the building that we all uh, work out of? What are what's the schedule like? You know, what are the what are the lessons the lectures going to be like? And you know, I kind of expected it to be a startup school, and it wasn't. I mean, they basically said, like, no, this is it. Like, it, in fact, you're you're not going to be working here. You're going to be working out of your own house. They give you a little bit of money, and it lets you rent a house for the summer, and it lets you pay you and your, your co-founder basically minimum wage. It like, lets you support yourself. And, uh, and you're working there every day of every week for about three and a half months. So you imagine like we got into it and we started in, um, in June 1st and it went until August 31st and basically seven days a week we were working out of our own house. We like got up, rolled out of bed still in our boxers, getting to the computer and the day starts. And the only formal thing of the entire process, well, there's three, there's three formal parts of the, of the program. There's a weekly dinner that happens every Tuesday night and at that weekly dinner, everyone meets at the Y Combinator headquarters, which you're encouraged to stay close to, so like a five- or ten-minute drive maximum, so you can just go down there whenever uh, in case like, there's an event happening. But uh, there's this dinner that happens once a week, and they bring in just the most amazing speakers. They brought in Mark Zuckerberg or Jerry Yang, who co-founded Yahoo, or uh, wow. or Ben Silverman from, from Pinterest, uh, Ron Conway. You know, some really, really, really cool speakers. Mike Bloomberg was one of them. And these, these speakers would just would take maybe an hour, talk about their story, and then they would usually get interviewed by Paul Graham for like another half hour. And, uh, and then people in the audience got to ask questions. The class was pretty big. There were like 60 people, 50 startups in the batch. And so there were about wow. 100, 100 to 150 founders. So you can imagine like a cafeteria full of people and that's it. It's like a dinner. And that's really the only sort of social experience that you get throughout the week, which has this really interesting effect because you essentially are like working so hard that you are on the edge of burnout. And those weekly dinners are what keep you sane. I mean, those, it gives you just enough of that like social interaction and checking in with other founders and showing off your product. Right. I mean, these are these weekly check ins that kind of ensure that you actually make progress on a week by week basis and you see the other partners there and then you you leave it with this inspirational story. this like amazing tale from, you know, whoever the speaker was. And just inevitably, I always left the dinners feeling like, wow, I could go home. I have so much energy and I just want to, you know, just get right back to work. And that would basically carry you over until the next dinner, the next week. So. There was a dinner series, which is really like the main interaction you had. There was also obviously the demo day at the end of the entire program. And that's like the, you know, you pitch in front of investors for two and a half minutes. I think it was super short. You don't even get to demo. That's actually like a misnomer. You just, you know, talk about your company and and then uh, they have this sort of like dating style system where investors can say that they want to talk to you afterwards and then you can meet up with them and essentially do your own thing. but there's really very little structure as to how that process unfolds. And then there's a weekly kind of like group check-in where they started experimenting with bigger batch sizes. So they subdivided them into smaller groups and you would do this weekly check-in with like maybe 10 or 15 other, other people, other founders and startups. There's also the office hours that you can schedule with partners, but those are, those are essentially optional. Like you can go online, you can schedule office hours and then you can, meet with them for 20 minutes. You don't have to if you don't want to. So those, you know, those are that's essentially why combinator. You know, at first I was kind of like disappointed, you know, like I thought there would be more. Well I think that it took me a while to realize the value of of the process comes from the simplicity. Like too often we try to do so much and the ability to just focus and to just say I mean, I'd, like I mentioned in that post, the one thing they keep looking for, the one thing that will just get constantly asked of you and reinforced is, is what's your growth like? How are you? How much are you growing this week versus last week? And if you can hit that like 7% growth number per week, then you're good. Then, you know, then there's sort of this implicit promise that on demo day, you'll be able to meet investors that like the funding, all that stuff will come through and all you have to worry about is growth. And there's no distraction besides that, which I think has a lot of lessons, honestly, to just how companies should, should run their businesses in general, but especially in terms of, of what you're measuring and getting bogged down with all these things. So that's a that's kind of a long roundabout answer to your question, I think.
0: Yeah, no, it's really interesting. Um, so I'm curious, you did end up getting funding?
1: Yeah. So we came out of Y Combinator and, uh, and we ended up raising a seed round on a convertible note, and the, the total round was $770,000. So that that allowed us to we moved back to New York, we uh, we hired people, and so sort of that that carried us along. We were in this kind of a unique situation in that we were profitable coming out of Y Combinator. Partly that's because um, we already came into it with a certain amount of progress. Like we had already had a class that was selling, that there was a market for, but also because we were actually charging for a product, just the nature of the business. Whereas other startups in the batch, you know, some of them hadn't launched yet or some of them had launched, but like they, they weren't near monetization. So for companies like that, you know, funding is much, a much bigger imperative and sometimes you have to raise much more money. So we got away with, you know, raising a fairly small round coming out of YC, and uh, and it let us do stuff that we wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. But we didn't need it, which was nice.
0: Okay. Well, look, let's. This is yeah. This is really great. I want to touch on one of your courses, which is uh, sure one month growth hacking, the one that I'm doing. I'm curious, yeah. where did you get your growth hacking skills from? And mm-hmm. What can our audience learn from you? Like, what's, what's some big takeaways that they need to learn about growth hacking? And can you give us an in, just a quick, short intro about what growth hacking is? Sure. So I think, the, I think my skills come from so many different
1: places. Growth hacking is kind of, it's a mixed bag of skills. Really, it's more defined by the question that you're answering, which is, like, how do I help this, this company and this product grow? So it's, it's more about the outcome than what you do to get to that outcome. So you, you kind of find people who have successfully grown company after company and, and, you know, has grown products to like tens or hundreds of millions of users. And they all do it in a slightly different way because they have different backgrounds. A lot of them come from the technical side, like they're coders or they uh, at least have a strong understanding. They were sort of trained in this coding mindset. And then they were, these, they were smart people who were challenged with the problem of not, like, shipping this feature, but, you know, what do we do to grow, to get more users, to reduce churn, to increase lifetime value, to get more people to refer their friends, or whatever it is. And they respond to that with, with anything from, like, referral, you know, feature A-B testing, like, releasing landing pages, onboarding flows, like, whatever it is. So for me, I started out as a marketer at a startup. That was my first job after graduating from college. And I'd never studied marketing. I actually had studied finance and I studied philosophy also as a double major. And I ended up having to do marketing because I couldn't, like, honestly, I couldn't find a job in finance. I wasn't able to get a job. So it was (laughs) the only option that I had. And so I was like... Okay, I like this company. I like these people. They were doing advertising products at the time. And I was like, I will be your first marketer. They were a team of fifteen people, but they never had a marketer. And I took that upon myself as a challenge because I, I always wanted to be really like good at whatever I did. So I uh, I I started taking classes in marketing. I started, you know, online classes, reading books about marketing, just essentially sucking up all of the knowledge that I could. That was actually how I first learned about General Assembly and Skillshare and Udemy and all of these resources. And in that first year and a half while I was there, I honestly feel like I learned more in that year and a half than I did in college. Like I learned more about marketing than I did about finance. And I ended up uh, managing like a marketing budget of about half a million dollars, throwing like a full scale conference. Uh, We won a Guinness World record for one of the campaigns that we did. We did wow. some cool stuff while we were there. Mm. So a lot of this, I mean, and I, I didn't really, I still didn't consider it growth hacking at the time. But I went from there to actually starting to do a little bit of marketing consulting for startups. And it wasn't until that you know, it wasn't until I went and I, and I learned how to code. I was like taught myself how to code that the two started fitting together. Where it became growth hacking. It became how do I apply this. Technical knowledge that I now have to thinking about growing users and getting more users for a product.
0: I see. And what are some quick win growth hacks that you could give to the audience that are looking? They've started. They've started something. They've achieved product market fit, or you know, thereabouts. What are some quick wins mm-hmm. that you would you, that you would give?
1: Yeah. So I, I there's actually I released a slide share called Twenty Nine Growth Hacking Quick Wins that has. There's a talk that I gave recently. So that's for free online for anyone who wants to check it out. And I'll name a few of them. So first of all, I guess the caveat is you've already hit product market fit, right? Because a lot of people, I, I see a lot of people try to use growth hacking techniques or like to look to growth hacking as the answer for how they can grow their product before they actually have a product that people really, really need. Like it may be a product that a few people have signed up for or have expressed interest in, but unless it's something that is already kind of growing on its own a little bit, you're going to have a really hard time getting it from not growing to growing using growth hacks like on their own, right? That being said, there are a lot of things that startups overlook. Just email in general as like as a channel, as strategy, all the strategies around email, email is really overlooked. I think there's too much pressure put on social media, and there's not enough put on email. Don't worry about building a Twitter following. Don't worry about building a Facebook following. Build an email list, and put all of your energy into collecting email, because email is an incredibly powerful channel for connecting with and building and communicating with potential customers and users. And it's uh, it's way underappreciated and undervalued, and it's hard to do honestly, but for almost every single startup that has succeeded, email has been a critical part of that success. So you might as well figure it out early. And what I'm talking about is like products that launch and just see huge success. Almost always the strategy is build up a large list of emails before a launch, and then when the launch is ready, then you can start to use that email list. And you can build emails by building fairly simple landing pages. They're typically called squeeze pages squeeze pages are short pages that only have one thing that you can do on them. There are no links that let you click away or that send you somewhere else. The only thing you can do is put in your email address. And, you know, usually you do it in exchange for an incentive. Like there's a, an ebook or a video series, or even if it's just, you know, here's what my startup's about, like maybe a video and give us your email and we'll let you know, you know, when we're, when we're live or when we're ready to go. So email is a big one. And honestly, like doing just an email capture allows you to sort of launch early or pre-launch as early as possible and start to test out messaging, start to test out copy and headlines and even different audiences, which is something you're going to have to do eventually. So you might you might as well do it as early as possible. What are some other big ones? I, you know, I talk about measuring that promoter score, which is a really cool one. You get a lot of feedback from users and and there are some great tools for doing that, like Qualaroo or Promoter.io. I mean, some of the more advanced later stage ones are uh, retargeting as a form of paid advertising. Retargeting is is almost always a no-brainer. If the, like the caveat being if you're making money on a product, like if you're mm-hmm. charging people for a subscription or something, retargeting is awesome. And essentially, that's just cooking someone who's been to your site and then advertising to them later to come back to your site and sign up. You're going to get... A lot of people come to your site, they mean to buy it, they mean to check out the product or whatever it is, and then they get distracted or they're sort of on the fence. Retargeting to those people will generally get you like a multiple return above what regular paid advertising would get you. Now, if you are like a social network or if you're a product that doesn't charge people up front, then really like no paid advertising is going to work for you or like you're going to lose a lot of money doing it that way. And uh, podcast ads are also really effective at least they have been for us and the story from other startups is that they're really effective for them too. But usually when I think of like a company that has to grow with very little money or, or no money at all, you're you're generally talking about like either growth hack, like product features, which are really hard to do, honestly, or you're talking about organic marketing and, and organic like content creation. And the way that I think about doing content creation is just like, think about the, audience that's going to be using your product and what other kind of questions are they going to have? So if you're like mint.com and people are using you for financial services, people who are interested in finances are also going to maybe have questions like, uh, like how do I find my taxes or how do I do my, you know, how do I sign up for a 401k or like, should I sign up for an IRA or whatever those things are? I mean, that's that's an example that's already been done because Mint did it years ago. But if you can think of like the kind of questions that your audience is going to ask, I wouldn't necessarily recommend doing a blog because blogs can be hard to set up and hard to maintain and the SEO takes a while to build up. But think about all of those other content sites out there that already have an audience. Sites like Quora, sites like SlideShare, you know, Reddit, like all of these different sites where you can take this knowledge that you have and sort of formulate it into something that is going to be that other people will do the job of promoting for you meetup.com, like start a meetup around the interest and then submit that event to all these like event newsletters. If you're in a major city, that's like, that was a really great strategy for us early on at grow, grow hack. We actually built a meetup of like over a thousand members doing that. Oh wow! Um, so those are just a few off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, no, this is, this is awesome. I kind of brushed over product market fit. We probably should touch on that because people listening to this—that's a—that's a question that they face, and it's often a hard question to answer. How do you advise your students to know if they've received product market fit? Is it you know making money? Is it you know what what how many how, like is it a certain amount of users? How, how do you how do you tell yourself that you've how do you find out you've you've got product market fit?
1: You know, honestly, that's a hard question. And like I d do, I don't know the answer because like I got lucky, I think. You know, I didn't I say with my class I didn't expect it to be as big as it as it would be. Like I knew some people would want to sign up for the class, but I didn't know that this many people also wanted to learn how to code. A lot of people tackle a problem and they they maybe think that there are more people out there that have that problem than there really are or they maybe think that their product is a better solution for that problem than it really is. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the only thing that's not going to be like a lie or like close approximation is just are you making money and is your company growing on its own, right? And if, if you are making money and if it's, you know, growing a little bit on its own, then you know you have product market fit. It doesn't answer the question of how big the market is right? And that's always a question. Like Some markets are bigger than others. But it's the best thing you can do at that early stage is just talk to people. And there's a whole uh, sort of body of knowledge around what's called customer development, which, you know, it overlaps with growth hacking. I think you could use a lot of the strategies in growth hacking to do customer development as well. Stuff like creating landing pages, pre-launch, and testing out Markets with paid advertising and, and doing like the A/B testing there and and using a lot of the tools to survey students and stuff like that. But but really, customer development is it's a lot more than that. And so I would like highly recommend reading some of the books around that. There's a great book called The Entrepreneur's Guide to Customer Development. I, I initially did Lean. What is it? Lean Startup Machine. Yeah. And you learn a lot about what kind of questions you really should be asking. The one mistake that I see people make all the time is like they think they're getting feedback, but they're really not because of the way that they're asking questions. You know, people fall into this trap of pitching a startup idea, talking about like all the cool bells and whistles because they're excited about it and because that's like what they want to build. And then they ask, so they're like, wouldn't it be great if if there was a site that could do this and that could let you easily, you know, do this, like check out apartments and then you create a shopping list and you can, you know, go through video walkthroughs of them and and, like, and then they sort of like ask someone, would you use that? And of course they're going to say, yeah, because like the thing you described is amazing, right? Like mm. why, who wouldn't use that? But that's, that's not really the, the hard part, right? The hard part is what's the thing that you build going to do? Like what's that going to look like? And will people want to actually use the product that you built? And the only way to answer that question is by building it and putting it in front of them. But you can also ask some good questions to explore the problem itself and like the intricacies of the problem. Just stuff like, have you ever had a problem with, and then fill in the blank, like, uh, have you ever had a problem trying to learn how to code? And you, you want to ask about the past. You want to ask specifically about that because you want to get people out of this hypothetical mindset, right? You ask people, have you ever had this problem? If so, tell me more about that, right? And you just start listening to the words that they use. And those are going to be a lot of the words that, that guide what you actually end up sort of putting on your landing page to sell for them later. But it's uh, it's a really tough thing to do to do right. So I don't, ultimately don't know the answer to that.
0: Yeah, no, no, look, um, that's fair enough. And uh, I appreciate mm-hmm. your honest answer because uh, it is a hard one mm-hmm. to ask. I, I went through that. Uh, yeah, just to touch on the copywriting piece, that's gold. I, I use that too. I We have a feedback loop mm-hmm. in place for Founder. So anyone that, that subscribes to the magazine, they get taken through a drip mm-hmm. feed campaign. And one of the questions we ask is, you know, what's your biggest problem? What are you struggling with? Why did you sign up? And all that feedback mm-hmm. comes through and we use that in our copywriting. So that's, I really yep. want to emphasize on that. Yeah, that's really, really powerful. Yeah.
1: When I first got my job, I had like three different ideas. For, for companies that I thought would be, would be effective. So I built a landing page for each one, you know, mm. and, and it turned out that it turned out some of them people didn't care about. So I think the better approach to product market fit is like, don't try to make a product that you have fit a market, you know, throw a lot of stuff up to of the wall and see what sticks.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's why I think. Is that how you would approach all of your marking? You just don't know the answer. It's just testing, right?
1: I mean, we still do that, right? Like, we release classes, and we don't know how how successful the classes are going to be. We don't know how many people are going to sign up for each class. Like, what is we know that people ask for classes. You know, we don't build classes that nobody has asked for, but we don't know ultimately if those people represent a large market or, or not a large market. So when we create these landing pages for classes uh, where we're collecting email addresses, those classes don't necessarily exist yet. And we're really getting feedback about, you know, do people want this and how many people want this versus another class? And we're also tweaking the, the messaging and we're tweaking what, what's even in a class and the title of the class. All this stuff before we ever have to put the work into creating the class. Because too many people do it the other way around. They build something and then they get frustrated and they, they try to figure out how where to sell it.
0: You know, this, I'm loving this conversation. Um, look, we have to work towards wrapping up. A couple of questions. Mm-hmm. What is one month's USP as opposed to a Udemy? Like, how do you guys position yourself as being an alternative?
1: So, yeah, I mean, we get this question a lot, and it's mostly because the education space is like pretty competitive right now. You've got these marketplaces like Udemy and Skillshare and, to a certain extent, Coursera and uh, Udacity. Yep. Right. You've got Code Academy, which teaches people to code for free. You have Treehouse and uh, and Code School, oh, which Linda shows too. like the exactly. Linda is like the, the big player in the space. And each one has its own sort of twist, right? So at the very high level, what one month stands for is that starting point. It's the place for people who who know that they want to learn more about something, but they just don't know where to start with it. So you know that you want to learn. How to code, or how to build mobile apps, or you know, you want to, you know, you have this problem, which is you need to grow your company. You just don't know, of all of these resources out there, you don't know, you know, which ones to consume, which ones to interact with. And that problem has existed forever, right? I mean, this is the reason why universities exist, because they would aggregate all this, all this knowledge in the form of libraries, and then the teachers would basically tell you, okay, guys, here's what you need to know from all of those books. You don't have to read all of those books. And so what Udemy and what Skillshare are really doing is, is aggregating this marketplace of all of these online classes. You know, you go to Udemy, you search for growth hacking or you search for iOS, you'll find dozens of classes on each one of these topics. And so it it doesn't really solve the problem of knowing where to start, knowing the quality of of the content, knowing how long it's going to take or what you're going to walk away from it knowing. And these are all like really good questions in your mind when you're first starting out. Like you don't want to waste time taking a class that's going to suck or that's not going to teach you what you really need to know. So our approach is just, it's like the no bullshit, like the first month of learning something. And we walk you through to the point where you actually have like a, a working thing at the end of it. It's all project based and it's, 30 days. It's 15 minutes a day. So it's lightweight, self-paced. You can do it in your own time. You could do two weeks of it. You, you know, you get busy at work or there's something comes up, you come back two weeks later and you can pick up where you left off. Right. So it's a model that a lot of people like compared to the more in-depth, you know, like college kind of setting or, or like a, you know, general assembly in person kind of thing. But it's, it, it's also, you know, we walk people through this, and we have support. We have mentorship. We actually have people who are there in case you run into problems or in case you have any questions. So we are a lot more than what a lot of those other platforms are, as well. But th- the ultimately, that's you know, that's the the big challenge for us is setting ourselves apart in a way that's clear to people, in a way that people understand, and is a way that is sort of immediately apparent when you first come to our website. And so. There's a, you know, there's a, B testing that's involved in that. There's testing out different tactics. Like we're probably going to be putting up uh, different videos on the homepage to sort of explain what we're all about and see which one of those resonates better.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, look, if, if your one month growth hacking course is anything to go by, you've, you've got me across the board as, you know, a a super customer advocate that, you know, I I trust you guys. I know you know your shit. So it's, it's a great course. And I, I'm sure you would have a lot of cross selling to these other courses. And I really like the community piece you have once you get in there, which is, which is really great. Yeah. So that's a, that's a strong differentiation. There's a lot more support there. There's a lot more hand holding. and, yeah. you know, I've, I've purchased Udemy courses that I've never finished. I don't know why, but yeah, there's something to be said there, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's
1: ultimately it. It's, you know, do you like the content? Do you? trust the people do you like the feeling it provides and do you learn something
0: two last questions one sure uh you talked about email marketing i think you're spot on this is a really really big piece so often people say the money's in the list especially from you know a lot of the internet marketing world and a lot of people that make a lot of money online what's your yeah. number one most effective tip for growing your email list
1: create a Simple squeeze page. You can do that in something like Unbounce or you could build your own and create an incentive for people to sign up for that email list. So what works really well for me is ebooks, like PDF ebooks. You can just put something together either in like in Word or like PowerPoint or keynote and just export it to PDF and connect it to an email list so that it's the first email that they get after they sign up and just tell them, you know. If you give us your email, we'll give you immediate access to this amazing ebook that explains how to do this thing, or like a short video that you recorded—fifteen minutes or or thirty minutes—you could do it with a webcam. You can just do it with like ScreenFlow or Camtasia, recording what's on your screen. But give them something that they get in exchange for signing up. Don't just ask them to give you their email. You know, in in return for updates or whatever it is. That'll be the biggest thing. And if you do that right testing out your ability to like to get the the action but it's also much lower risk than like giving you their name and giving you their you know signing up giving you passwords like all that stuff also like don't even worry about asking for a name just ask for an email address
0: okay awesome another question was around courses a lot of people are creating courses a lot of people that be listening to this would be creating you know information products like you, you guys have got that down, Pat. You know what's your biggest takeaway? Because you've done a lot now. What's your biggest takeaway that people can learn from you around this this piece, this education piece?
1: Start smaller than you think you need. Like, don't start with this huge vision in mind with this big course because you know it'll take a really long time to record like a high quality course and. And if, it's okay if you're embarrassed by what your course looked like when it first launches. I was definitely embarrassed by my first Skillshare course. I thought people would hate it. And uh, and people ended up loving it. In fact, I originally planned to record like this full course that showed you how to build a full Rails app with Ruby on Rails. I only recorded half of it. I only ever got to the point where you built this, uh, an app, a site where people could log in. But then there was nothing that it actually did. you know. And I thought... I thought people would hate it. I thought people would feel like they got ripped off. And people Mm. loved it, you know, because it was short enough in scope that it was easy for people to finish. They didn't feel overwhelmed. They knew that they could learn more if they wanted to. But some of them were like, okay, cool. This is, you know, enough for me. So you're much better off starting with a smaller course that you charge five or $10 for or $20 for than a huge course that you charge $100 for or $200 for. Because the small one can always turn into the bigger one later on if people ask for it. So release something that's smaller and and then just start listening to feedback as early as possible. And I'll constantly be improving it. Like, don't just think that you can create a course, release it, and then it's done.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, look, Matan, this has been an absolute awesome conversation. I've really enjoyed speaking with you we've got a a lot of gold yeah we've got a lot of gold so yeah look just want to say thank Thank you so much for taking the time
1: thank you for taking the time as well and uh, i hope your listeners like it
0: hey guys i hope you enjoyed this interview as you might already know our mission at founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business